Well, thank you. Good morning. It's so great to see you today. Today, we're going to look at the start of what is possibly Jesus' most famous sermon in Matthew 5. So um, please turn in your Bibles or look on the screen. We're going to read verses 1 to 12, and it says this. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Today, I'd like to ask the question, what is a blessed life and how do we live it? A few years ago, Rachel and I were on an overnight flight and um, it's the middle of the journey and we are fast asleep. Well, I'm fast asleep anyway. And then Rachel suddenly wakes me up, utterly panicked. I'm, I'm kind of a bit confused, but she tells me, Andy, there's a plane flying directly alongside our plane. Now, my wife is probably the most intelligent person I've ever met in my life. I mean, I've literally never, never seen her lose a game of Scrabble, so that's a pretty kind of high bar to hit. So my heart starts racing straight away. I'm like, there's a plane flying next to our plane. What on earth is going on? She explains to me, she thinks it's an FBI plane and they're probably trying to pull us over. So I'm going, okay, this really isn't good. Like, this really isn't good. So I lean over, look out of the window of the plane to see the flashing light at the end of our wing. No plane, just the flashing light at the end of the wing. To which I ask my wife, how many action movies have you been watching recently? <laughs> you see, it's amazing what our imagination can do to shape our perspective of life, to, to shape what we think is real or not. And we all carry different perspectives and they're shaped by something called a worldview. We all have a worldview. It's a set of, of beliefs about the meaning of life, about that which is important. It shapes our perspective and our priorities. It shapes our, our vision and our values of life. I wonder, what is shaping your world view? The predominant worldview of the West might be summarised really simply like this. Hashtag blessed. Go on, you know you want to do this. Go on, put your fingers together, get the hashtag sign, turn to the person next to you. Come on, I'm not giving you a choice. Say to them, hashtag Blessed. But is the hashtag blessed life that social media presents us really that blessed? Is the dream that the advertisements give us really that 
dreamy is the fulfillment that materialism promises us really that fulfilling what is a blessed life and how do we live it I think this passage in Matthew 5 points us in the right direction. And firstly, it points us to this. A blessed life is found in God. Verse 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It was probably the most tense moment of my life up until that point. I was on the starting line in lane five and I knew that this race could probably shape the rest of my life. Admittedly, I was only age seven at the time, (laughs) but it was a big deal to me. Next to me was Lee Harris. He was the fastest kid in the school. He won the championship year after year after year after, well, he'd only been in school two years, but he'd won it every year. So I knew this is up for grabs. I get myself down, the, the, the teacher blows the whistle and I run and I run and I run and I could feel I'm in the lead. I'm, I, I'm ahead, but in the back of my mind, I know Lee Harris is faster than me. So I do the only thing that an overly competitive seven-year-old knows to do. I just step into the lane next to me and keep running and I run and I run and I run and I win. Oh, come on. I won, guys. There we go. And then my teacher told me that you've cheated, so it doesn't really count. But it's amazing at age seven, how there's something in us, ingrained within us, that kind of realises that the nature of this world can be a bit dog-eat-dog. There's something in us that can be so competitive to to need to win, to to need even when we don't feel like what we've got, we've got what it takes, but to need to make it happen, to push harder, to run faster, to put our best foot forward, to wear that mask of seeming significant and successful, whatever it takes. And yet, These Beatitudes, also known as the beautiful attitudes of the kingdom of God, they start with this phrase, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, poor in spirit is is not to believe that you're worthless, that you're without value. The, The gospel, the good news will never allow us to do that. Because God so loved the world. He so loved you and I, whether you're in this room, wherever you're online, God so loved you that he gave his only son that you might know what a truly blessed life is to die for you, to give you true life. See, to be poor in spirit is is not to feel worthless, but to be poor in spirit is to recognise an utter dependence on God. It's to recognise that whether life is, is good and the wind is on my back or whether I'm facing mountain after mountain, I'm in desperate need of God. But this feels so upside down to what blessing appears to be in the world. See, we're so often told, aren't we, that, that the blessed life, the, the path to the blessed life is, is one of, of one being independent not relying on anyone, being self-sufficient, being autonomous. That's the path to true success, to true blessing. But Jesus tells us it's to recognise our great need 
for God. I wonder if, like me, you may have found yourself compromising your vision of what a truly blessed life looks like. Just settling for something less, something that might be attainable if we just try harder, if we just run faster. I wonder if maybe we've, we've settled for a lesser vision of deep joy. We've settled for a lesser vision than deep joy by, by settling for, for entertainment, for something less than, than true peace, by settling for a sense of control in our lives, for something less than, than an unshakable hope. We've, we've settled for having a good career path in place or, or unconditional love. Maybe we've just settled for going from relationship to relationship or for just seeking the approval and the acknowledgement of our peers or our boss. Today, I think God might just want to increase, enlarge our vision of what a truly blessed life looks like. A life beyond what we can achieve by working hard. A life beyond what we can achieve by, by, by putting our best foot forward and just doing all we possibly can and hoping for a bit of luck. No, a, a blessed life so full of rich joy and peace and hope and love that it's, it's nothing that this world could really offer us. It can be found only in God. A blessed person is the one who recognises their deep need for God because their vision of a blessed life is far beyond what this world could offer and far beyond what they can manufacture in their own strength. With scary accuracy, I become an ugly crier once a year. Any ugly criers in the room? Any ugly criers online? Please feel free to put it in the chat. Um, I become an ugly crier not too distant future, once a year, when I watch the John Lewis Christmas advert. Anybody join me? I mean, it's a brutal but beautiful moment right there. But what do we do in life when we actually hit those moments of, of true tragedy, where there's nothing we can do but ugly cry? where we know that we have no answers, where it just doesn't make sense and we can't figure our way out of this. I remember after our third miscarriage, just having a whirlwind of fear and disappointment and anger and questions running through my head and my heart. There was nothing in that moment that I could have described as, as hashtag happy. And yet somehow, slowly but surely, I discovered a, a gentle comfort that I couldn't have manufactured myself. I, I discovered a, a peace that was beyond my understanding. I knew a nearness of God, a blessing that nothing in this world could offer. See, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And this is the prayer of those who mourn. This is the prayer of the poor in spirit, those who recognise their lack. It's Jesus, I need you. 
Because when we pray that prayer, recognising that we don't have what it takes, we open our lives up to the presence of God. When we recognise that, that we're not strong enough, we open up our lives to the strength of God. When we recognise that we don't know what to do, we open our lives up to the wisdom of God. That simple prayer, Jesus, I need you. I wonder if we've settled for a lesser vision of what the blessed life is and God wants to enlarge that today to see that a blessed life, a life of true joy, peace, hope and love can be found only in God. So firstly, a blessed life is found in God. And finally, a blessed life is found with others. A blessed life is found with others. Regularly, as I was growing up, my mum would say to me, Andy, never trust a man with a beard because he's hiding something. <laughs> now, if you're a psychologist in this room, I'm sure you could have a field day with me right now. But a little part of me wonders whether this isn't just a rebellion against my mum. I kind of quite like the idea of being a bit of a monk. Do you know, just that idea that I can just, I can go off and I can just pray and read my Bible. And there's a little part of me that if I was just to read these first beautiful, first four beautiful attitudes, we could maybe come to that conclusion. If a blessed life is found in God and only God, then let's just go out to the hills, let's take our Bible and a prayer journal and we'll be blessed. However, if we keep reading these second half, these final four beautiful attitudes, we discover that a blessed life is found with others. It says, blessed are the merciful. Well, to be, to be merciful, you need to be around somebody who needs mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers. Well, that means there's been some disruption between people. Blessed are those who are persecuted for doing what is right. Well, we've got to presume that we're not persecuting ourselves for doing what is right. See, if this is true, that these last four beautiful attitudes that I've explained here help to lead us towards a blessed life being lived and found in others, then the one that fascinates me the most is this. It says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Where will they see God? Well, they'll see God in people who need mercy and people who are merciful. They'll see God in, in people who need peace and in people who make peace. They'll see God in people who are persecuted, but they'll also see God in people who are doing the persecuting. See, this feels entirely upside down to a world that, that treats people differently depending on, on how they look, that treats people differently depending on how entertaining or amusing they are, treats people differently depending on what you can give me or what your bank balance is or how successful or recognised you are in life. 
See, it's totally upside down to that because the first book of the Bible teaches us that every single person is made in the image of God. And therefore we can see God in each other. We can see the goodness and the life of God in each other. I find it so easy to get fixed on myself, to get consumed with my own advancement, with my own development. In essence, I very easily become selfish. And in my selfishness, my my heart shrinks a little bit. My, My capacity to know the blessing of God decreases and my capacity to share the blessing of God with others, to see the image of God within others decreases. But when I open my life out, when I begin to recognise that you are loved just as I am loved, that you are made in the image of God just as I am made in the image of God, I see God in you. I see the image of God in you. And great blessing comes from that space. What if we were to believe that God loves your boss as much as he loves you. Now, I know that's really hard for some of us. I mean, not for me. My boss is Nicky Gumbel. We're all good. Nothing there. What if we were to believe that our noisy neighbour is just as loved by God? What if we were to believe that that person from the other side of town is just as loved by God? What if we were to believe that that person on the opposite end of the political spectrum is just as loved by God as we are. Maybe we treat people differently. Maybe we'd speak about them and we speak to them differently. Maybe it wouldn't just be a, a philosophical idea, but it would affect the day-to-day lives we live. Whether that's the, the person who serves you at the supermarket or the person you sit next to in the office, each made in the image of God. See, to to see the image of God in each person is to overcome racism, sexism, ageism. It's to, to buy our clothes differently because we believe that every person involved is valued and deserves to be paid rightly. It, it means that we'll treat creation differently because we believe that future generations deserve a planet just as much as we deserve a planet. It means that we will we'll spend our time and our resources differently because we believe the words of Jesus that say it is more blessed to give than to receive. When we begin to see the image of God in others. And as we do so, we won't be able to help but be salt and light in the world. We won't be able to help but, but bring out the God flavours in our world to show them what a truly blessed life looks like. We won't be able to help but, but bring light into the darkness of the world to, to expose the lies and to show them actually this a far deeper joy, a far more true peace, love and hope available found only in God. See, a blessed life is found with others. For blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. But I hear you say today, I'm not pure in heart. And I respond, neither am I. And this is why we need to do the full cycle, to be back 
to the place of recognizing we are poor in spirit. We need Jesus. We need Jesus who came to show us what a truly blessed life is. We need Jesus who who came to to die on a cross, to to take away our sin, to, to lead us into life, to make a connection for us and God, to connect us to the source of true life, of real blessing. We need a saviour. We need Jesus. And so we come before him again today, recognising that he and he alone is the source in which true life, a blessed life is found.